This is Coda Radio, episode 75 for November 11th, 2013. Everyone, you're listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three great sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this great show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. What up, player? <laughs> I didn't know what to expect coming in. Because we kind of had a gloomy pre-show. It's dark. It was sort of like a, a Batman Begins type pre-show, I thought. A little Nolan-esque. A little, yeah, a little, you know, you see people on the streets, crack yeah. pipe in hand. Yeah. You know, very sad. Very sad. Uh, I think maybe it's because we thought we'd dirt, air a little dirty laundry this week. You know, and that just kind of sets the tone, doesn't it? Once well, you start getting ready to air dirty laundry, you go down a path, my friend. So, you know I'm a bit of a drinker. Um <laughs> And, and, I, and I've made a new cocktail last month, but I've kept it a secret. Uh, I'm calling it Haterade. Ooh, tasty. I, I've had a little Haterade in my day. Uh, Did you make it in your bathtub? Or is it made in this, the pits of your soul? <laughs> it, it's actually made in my email inbox oh. and my incoming call log. Yikes. That's where it comes from. been yeah, a rough so. client week for you, has it? Yes, uh, yeah. rough client month, but oh. it turns out I've had a... I've had a little helper. Oh, somebody making things a little turbulent? Harder, ah. screwing me over at every turn. Just a little like Beelzebub chilling in the corner. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about that. Well, yes. I've got a gremlin in the works too. In fact, um, I should just probably – of course, if I'm saying this, eh, there's no – well, anyways, there's a, po- there's a possibility this episode will never air. That's a possibility. That's how many gremlins I have. In fact, last week's Linux Action Show – Normally wraps up around uh, noon, I think. I think we wrapped up around close to 2 o'clock. We had so many problems. Gremlins in the machinery. So it's been a rough week here at uh, JB Actual as well. I know. Uh, me and Angela and Ed were listening to uh, <laughs> Filtered and yeah. it sounded like crap. I don't know what happened. Well, I got to tell you, um, it was Gremlins in the machinery. It was Gremlins in the machinery. And then, you know, upgrades went awry, Mr. Dominic. See, we should all just be running DOS. Yeah, that would make things a lot easier. If I could do it over again, I'm not even kidding. If I could hit the reset button, I'd do all audio and only audio. It is, from a quality of life standpoint, it takes three to four hour post-production and shortens that to, at most, an hour, maybe 45 minutes. That's why Coda Radio is the best show on Jupiter Broadcasting. Well, it has video, though, so I still have to work on the video. I have never seen the video. Well, you know, most people most people do listen to the audio version, which makes sense, right? I mean, this is this is. In fact, we have a couple of emails uh, this week that say, "Hey, I love listening on the road or while I'm going to work or whatever right. they're doing." Should we get started with our emails? Let's do it. All righty, Mr. Dominic. Our first email this week comes in from Ben, not uh, the Ben that we've heard from semi recently, but from a new Ben. So, welcome, new Ben. Uh, he says, hi, Chris and Mike. Thanks for bringing an awesome show every week. Quota Radio helped keep me motivated through my soul-crushing post-college job search. And now that I have a job, it provides great weekly entertainment. So, I want to discuss what I think is a more fundamental cause of Java bashing. Now, remember, our topic last week was uh, the Java hate and how much people like to hate on Java. Uh, so, we got a few people that responded to that. He said, I hear the Java hate and I'm 
not wholly unsympathetic. It can be a little bit of a pain sometimes to work with. Like Mike, like Michael said last week, I came from a school who taught its core curriculum in Java. I've also had several classmates who had to experience it in other languages and were sometimes very vocal about their distaste for the language. I feel like at least a great deal of the hate comes from, or for lack of a better word, the unsexiness of the language realized in syntax. The seemingly too restrictive structure, like he goes on to say strong typing and classical inheritance, and conventions like super descriptive method names, crazy package director structure, and a lack of some collections without important statements. I feel, at least in some other languages, it's easy to get up and running on a spur-of-the-moment idea, and Java just isn't really good for that kind of thing without doing some extra song and dance that is not necessary with certain other interpreted language. He says, of course, it does have some great uses on the back end, like you pointed out, and, of course, for Android as well. He said, I've always been of the opinion that it's better to use the right tool for the right job, so please don't take this as me bashing other tools. If your app is more suited to a JavaScript or Ruby or even PHP, gasp, then use it. But I don't think one should shy away from Java just because it's not the hip new kid on the block. Maturity has its advantages in a rich, well-established knowledge base and strong ecosystem of common utility APIs. Keep up the great work. Good luck on Surface Land, Michael. Great points. Now, so what do you think about what do you think about his point that there's also just a lack of sexiness and a get up and go aspect with Java? So he's saying, like right here, he says, uh, uh, you know, it's harder sometimes with Java to just start on a whim with an idea and just sit down and start going. You think maybe that's part of the hate? I think it depends on the framework. Certainly, with Java Play, you can pretty much get that that Rails experience. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about this Java hate topic a lot, and I'm pretty sure it's bullshit. Uh, and here's why. It reminds me a lot of the Fedora Ubuntu stuff that was going on, what, like eight years ago? You know, when there people thought there was a chance Fedora was going <laughs> to oh, do something? Yeah, okay. All right. And, you know, I even participated in that hate a bit. And it it's that hive mind mentality, right? Sure, sure. You know, maybe in this, in this person's case, uh, in uh, Ben's case, his friends who have learned other languages are probably incorrectly feeling a little superior, right? Which is making him feel a little inferior. So then we all have to go around and show how hardcore alpha nerds we are and beat up on Java. Meanwhile, Java's running some of the largest applications in the world, but hey, whatever. Um, You know, every time I hear Ruby Hipster go on about how bad Java is, what did Twitter go to to save themselves from Rails, right? Mm. Ouch. and the, and the whole thing about Java's verbose, verbose is good. I mean, magic is not great. Mm. Um, so, so I get it. I I just feel like, you know, if we, if we... How much of this is legitimate complaints? Which, you know, some of the startup stuff is fine. You know, there are, you know, issues with Java, but there are issues with everything, right? Sure. Uh, in particular, if you're going to talk about sure development time, yes, that's fine. But then, when you, once you need to care about performance, well, all those interpreted options are far slower than Java. Um, I mean, there's that um, event-driven stuff, which, putting the hype aside, hasn't really been field-proven yet in any repeatable way. There's been some successes, but a lot of the deployments of that stuff, and I'm thinking of Node.js in particular, are just people playing with themselves because you know they had nothing better to do. <laughs> Ooh, got a nice firm glass of that hater. Hey, oh, he's a jackass. Thank you, thank you, Billy. Now, in terms of uh, you know, really, the only guys I think that have the real strong case against Java, 
again, not proven, but the Golang guys. I think they have a case to be made, right? Similar C-family syntax, far more performant, but again, not as mature and could use some framework love, right? Can we, uh, can we jump back to that herd mentality statement you said? Because right. we just watched such a brilliant example uh, of this over the weekend. Um, so there is a fix Ubuntu website that has the Ubuntu logo on it. You know, uh, Ubuntu sucks is what they're called, is what these sites are generally called. And it t- talked about ways to remove the shopping lens features from Ubuntu. Mm. Canonical contacted them and said pretty politely, but you know, in very legally speak, you need Back to stop. Shit off. Yeah. Stop yeah. using our logo. Uh, could you take our name out of your URL? Right. So, yeah. um, now, uh, if you look at the trademark case, it, it looks like he's actually within his legal rights as long as he's not using it for commercial purposes. But the internet blew up, and it even it, it spilled into ours and Wired. Uh, uh, Wired wrote a uh, wrote a headline: "Canonical launching a campaign to silence Ubuntu critics." Right, ours had something similar, and everybody just sort of clicked. There wasn't a lot of critical discussion and analysis of the facts. It was immediate jump on this bandwagon. Let's all go get our pitchforks, and we all hate this thing now. Um, yeah. Much like uh, you see that same um, mentality with Oracle. Now, I think it's actually I also have I have I have so many problems with Oracle from the way they run their company, from the way that they that, that the, the contract work that they do with the United States government, from the way they do the security practices. So if anybody's on the Oracle ha- hate wagon, I'm probably one of them. But I still see that same sort of herd mentality. Uh, you know, Java is associated with Oracle, Oracle bad. Now we hate Java. It's that same herd. It's that same herd group think. We're all part of the yeah, board that's, collective. That's a, that's a good point. We didn't start hitting on Java so hard until Oracle. Yeah, Oracle exactly. bought Sun. Right. Yeah. It was. It was Oracle bought Sun. Oracle makes a bunch of boneheaded mistakes. Then a then a gluttony of security issues come out, and it was all sort of this snowball effect that has put us where we're at now. Meanwhile, you know, we've gotten emails that were marked private that, from people who say, you know, we're running Java here at this infrastructure spot, and it's it's unbelievable the scale we get out of this thing. So I, I think what it is is. Um... Well, let me let me chug the haterade a little more if I could. I think when you're right, my SQL gets that too. Uh, Ickmeyer in the chat room points right. out. Right, yeah. I think when you're very passionate about the dev side of things, where you're not under the gun or necessarily working for a paycheck or a deadline, it's really easy to get caught up in the tools. Um, and I, I do a lot of that. And, Recently, less and less, but I, I used to do a lot of that, and I still do sometimes. But at the end of the day, the tool doesn't matter, especially on the back end, right? Because, you know, in defense of the Rails guys, the fact is most people don't need anything faster than Rails, right? They don't need scalability. Uh, in defense of the Java guys, if you do need scalability, that is not a bad choice. It just seems like it's it's really... Well, I mean, let's be honest. It's easier to criticize something somebody else has made than to actually make something. True. I actually think we all... I think that we should all make those businesses fail. I think we all have a little RMS in us. And what I mean is when you become at a certain technical proficiency, you understand sort of all of the politics and a lot of the things associated. And so things like resonate with you at a deeper level because you understand like a lot of the stuff behind it, behind the scenes stuff. And so it almost becomes like... it's like this fundamental conclusion that you've reached based on all the available data because you are much more aware of these things than the average person would be. And so it's like this part of your value system. I really think it comes down to 
um, I think people mix these things together. They get hung up on the tools. And also it happens because it's so much easier to focus on that stuff than it is actually focusing on the work, too. So it's like this whole collection of herd mentality, uh, getting you know getting too close to what you're working with so that you don't have objectivity towards it, and then it's also a bit of procrastination. And I think it all comes down to sort of this choir of, of, the, of the Internet that hates on something. Meanwhile, there's a whole large subset of people who are just getting work done and some of the most important work out there, right? Yeah, I mean, I would go with that. I almost see it as, as somewhat the opposite. Um... In particular, you know, we get a lot of, as you know, private feedback from more seasoned engineers and developers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and their response to everything is, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Right? I, they, could, they could care less. You could write something in hieroglyphics if it compiled and ran. Fantastic. Um, it's definitely the more junior guys who get all bent out of shape. Now, to be fair, there are times when getting bent out of shape is appropriate, right? Uh, I, I just... In particular, a lot of the criticism we've been getting about Java, you know, first of all, if you're going to tell me that you have to type less in Ruby, I think you're incredibly stupid, right? <laughs> like, hey, oh. what do you mean? If, if typing is something that you're, you know, that's such a big deal for you, you're in the wrong business. And frankly, that should be trivial, right? I mean, most developers spend, don't spend their day typing, they spend their day QAing issues or interfacing with stakeholders or things right, like that. Right. Typing should not even be a factor in this discussion. Um, but, I mean, we can move on from this because I feel like it's just me being an old man and being cranky. Well, I, I think we've actually, I think we've, we've kind of maybe put this Java topic to bed because we've been yeah. getting a lot of emails about it. It's still something, in fact, I think... Well, people might, are very passionate about it. Yeah, in fact, I think, yeah. I think we might have another email uh, yep. coming up about it. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, so here's what I want to do. Uh, since we spent a little time on that, I want to stop and thank our first sponsor. And then I want to get into, uh, remember last week you made a crack about how you think a lot of people listening are sysadmins? <laughs> well, we got some emails from some sysadmins. And uh, so we're going to talk to them. No, it's it's not all bad. In fact, uh, one of them is kind of, he's been he's been lurking because he's considering making a transition to development. So uh, you, we'll talk about that. a better person. Wow. Wow. Well, first, I want to help everybody. You don't have to be transitioning to a developer to become a better person. You just need to switch to Ting. Yeah, that's right. Ting. Ting is mobile that makes sense. They're my mobile service provider. I've got my HTC One on Ting, and I love it. You can go to coderadio.ting.com to get started, and I'll tell you a little bit more why you might want to do that here in a second. But first, I want to tell you more about Ting. Ting is mobile that makes sense, no contracts, no early termination fees, and you only pay for what you use. They take your messages, your megabytes, and your minutes. MMM, and they add it all up at the end of the month. Whatever bucket you fall into, that's what you that's what you end up paying. You over on their rates page, you get a pretty good idea of how reasonable this is. So for myself, uh, unless it's the holidays, I use very little minutes. But let's let's go up and say, all right, I'm going to use uh, about a thousand minutes this month, and I'll probably stick around to a thousand text messages. In fact, I might even be a little high since I do all my texting over Google Voice. So I'll say a hundred text messages, and I always like to give myself a gigabyte of transfer. There you go, 51 bucks a month, and I'm all in. That includes voicemail, picture messaging, video messaging, three-way calling, caller ID, tethering, and hotspot, which is huge. That's why uh, you know I am totally comfortable bringing a couple of the iPads with us when we go somewhere with the kids, and I just tether them off my HTC One, and when I connect to that Edge network, boom! Man, it is awesome, dude. They can be streaming their videos and their Angry Birds apps and all that kind of stuff. It's awesome. Now, also, one of the great things about Ting is their fantastic customer service. It is what really makes them stand out. And you can call them right now, 1-855-846-4389. 
That's Ting FTW if you didn't put it together. Anyways, a real person answers the phone and takes care of your problems as long as you call them between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. That's where Mr. Dominic lives. And if you call them, they'll help you resolve that problem. And you can also check out their blog. And this is what I love. So I, as a technical person, they have really detailed community forums where people are really getting to the nitty gritty of Android, of, of the of the cell modem. I mean, every every aspect that I could ever want to get into. But also with that customer service that's so awesome, I'm comfortable having my mom on the Ting service. And the other day I was like, mom, you might want to check this article out. I sent her a link to the Ting blog. Yeah, I sent my mom a link to the Ting blog because they have an article up there about backing up SMS messages, and she's been texting my brother who just had their first, my, my uh, brother just had his first uh, child, and so they've been texting back and forth pictures and, uh, you know, just how are you doing, things like that, and she doesn't want to ever lose those when she switches to a new Android phone, and so I sent her this link on backing up SMS messages, because Ting knows that's kind of stuff that you guys care about. They've also been posting their update on the ne- Nexus 5 testing and how you can get involved in that if you're cray-cray and want to help them uh, push that forward. They've got all kinds of information. Ting is extremely transparent. And I love that. So look, go over to coderadio.ting.com. That's going to take $25 off your first month of service if you bring your own phone. And they've got a whole list of phones compatible over on the Ting website. If you want to get a new phone, and I think you might want to get a new phone, they'll give you $25 off your new device. they got some good deals right now on the Optimus. They've also got a deal on the Samsung S3, 102 bucks off that right now. That's off contract. You buy that, that's off contract. It's yours. You own it. You own that phone. They got the HTC One, which I love skis. They got the Moto X and the Note 3 for 31 bucks off right now. You buy that Note 3, you own it. It's like a real computer. You own that thing. So anyways, love Ting. And I want you to go to coderadio.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. You guys go over to Ting right now, coderadio.ting.com, and click on that savings calculator. Because look, as the year wraps up, you need to get this taken care of now. I'll tell you, it's just time, it's time to start saving. And once you try that savings calculator, you're going to be hard-pressed not to do it. Average Ting bills $21 per month per line. And they even have an early termination relief program over at ting.com slash ETF, I believe. Well, it'll take up to $75 per qualifying line to help you get out of those contracts. So again, a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, Mr. Dominic, should we move on with our next email? Hang on, I need another swig of Haterade. Okay, yeah, you, you, you drink a big drink of it. Boy, I wish I, I'm, you're making me thirsty a little <sighs> bit. There we go. Mm, that's, oh, that sounds good. Oh, yeah, so uh, by the way, uh, getting feedback right now in the chat room, and uh, look at this, this is great. This is Arnold, uh, this is Arnold and here, here's his uh, Ting bill right now. Check this out. He's at six, 12 bucks. He's at 12 bucks. Nice, this, nice. This is also one of the things I'm hearing from folks is once they switch, they love the dashboard too. Yeah. I do too. I, you know, I, is it true they have the Nexus 5 already? I didn't think that was coming just yet. You can, so if you want to help them test it, they're, uh, they're, they're testing right now people who bought it from the Play Store and then okay. uh, bringing it over. They're working on, it like literally comes down to they need enough SIMs to program the SIMs and ship phones with SIMs right now because... These new LTE world, the, I don't know if they're world phone or what, but all these new LTE phones require uh, a, a SIM card like a GSM phone does. Okay, which yeah, is kind of new for CDMA kit networks. You know what I mean? Yeah, someone was telling me that they're uh, that they're actually rolling a Nexus Five on Ting, and I didn't think yeah. it was available. So it is awesome. if you're willing to test. Yeah, they're so. You know, this is what I was saying in their tech forums. So their community just started testing it. And so Ting just embraced that and said, all right, well, let's all organize right here and we'll work with you guys. They sent somebody down because they're up in Canada. They sent somebody down to cross the border to a Sprint store and buy up like a whole uh, every sim they had there (laughs) and bring it back to the Ting HQ. So that way they could do some testing. (laughs) 
Now, what did the Border Patrol think of that? It's, it's pretty awesome <laughs> because they're like, wow, okay, well, this is, what, this, is how, this is how our customers want to do it. We're just going to go the extra mile, literally, to make it happen. Nice. So, yeah. All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, our next email comes in from Jake, and uh, he, he has uh, a little of the sysadmin flavor, and he says, Hi, I've recently started listening to the Linux Action Show Unplugged and Coda Radio. Wow, recently. Cool. And I enjoy all the information, even though a lot goes over my head. I'm currently in college studying information technology. In one of your recent episodes, you mentioned that you thought IT-type jobs would be much less important in the future with all cloud-based systems emerging. I believe that was me that made that claim. He said, I was curious. Do you think system administration in IT is a decent career to pursue or software development is the only way to make a living in tech anymore? I was just curious if you had any advice on how to be successful in the technology field. Thanks. Keep up the great work, Jake. So, Mr. Dominic, I, I want to I refine my statement where I said, you know, one of the reasons I kind of transitioned into uh, doing uh, podcasts and internet broadcasting is because... I, as a contractor, was seeing a lot of clients move more and more services like exchange, and billing, all this stuff up onto hosted solutions. And, and pretty soon, I noticed that my, a lot of times my job was about spinning servers down and migrating services off of them, right? And it was no longer, let's come up with this crazy-ass storage solution. Let's invent this nutso backup system that syncs between all of our remote sites. It was no longer about that. It was like, how can we, how can we utilize the amount of bandwidth we have and still have good performance. You know, it was all these kinds of questions. And so I thought, crap, this is really starting to be eaten away from both ends because you've got, you've got contract work where people can work remotely. And uh, so a lot, of, uh, a lot of hospitals go that route where uh, – so you might, have, you might have entire states where they don't have any on-site IT people. And they, they all share, like several hospitals share one office. And that office's main headquarters is maybe in three states over, right? It's very – it's getting very, very remote. I saw all this. I saw all these trends happening, but I would, I would, I would say it doesn't mean jobs are going away completely. It just, I think, it means they're transitioning. You could be somebody who deploys that infrastructure. You could be somebody who works on those backend systems, which is kind of more fun, anyways. But do you think, Mike? I mean, do you think switching to development is? Would you recommend somebody like, yeah, get in development to make money at this point? Uh no, actually, so. I think what's happened is, so I would disagree with you partially. I would say that on the lower end, so the smaller to, you know, startup to to more mature small business side, yeah, the IT sysadmin thing has kind of been shot in the foot. Uh, but I think Google Apps and you know Office three sixty four or whatever it is have had more to do with that than anything else, right? Um, you know, Chris, let's just yeah. think back fifteen years. Every small business needed an IT guy mm-hmm. just to run Exchange. Right or 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 whatever Unix BSD and really to, to, uh, email to, you might have been running to deploy yeah. Office updates, you know, operating right. system updates, all of this stuff, which is sort of becoming more and more irrelevant as people switch to different well, operating how about, systems. How about data integrity, synchronized data backups, things like that? These were all things performed by entry level IT guys for small companies, right? That's yeah. where these jobs were, right? Um, you know, and, and our favorite company, Google, has even more so than Microsoft eliminated those jobs if right you, if you take if you take some of these uh, hipster startups where they've got people on chromebooks uh and macbooks uh and they're using google apps for their infrastructure there is almost nothing for an it guy to do in that scenario well that's exactly what my company is right we we don't have pure it because it's just easier to use google docs right um and it, i'm not even thinking about tech startups though i mean because tech startups were always kind of weird yeah um, I'm thinking like, you know, maybe uh, 
maybe Laura and Angela want to go open up a bakery. Right, right. They don't need to hire a contract IT guy. No, I mean, they're going to take their iPads, they'll get a Stripe account, and right, they'll, they'll put... A, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, yeah, they're done. Google Apps, you're going to go. Yeah, they'll get an email at Google Apps. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep. They're, see, this is what... <clears throat> This is what is going to happen is all of these companies uh, start to streamline these where all of these things that used to be like required for the IT guy to maintain, they just become feature check, bo- check boxes for these guys. It's exactly. just a feature. Yeah, we got we got calendar. Sure. Check that box. So I, it's kind of so I can see why people would want to switch to development unless you're the person deploying those systems. But see, I look at I look at development, too, and that also seems like a race to the bottom. I, I, where are you going to make money unless you're making enterprise applications or so yeah, there, so there are a few things happening in dev that have already happened in IT. Um, let's talk about um, Parse.com. Are you familiar with that? They're owned by Facebook now. What is it? Parse.com. No, never heard of it. Uh, well, they're actually owned by Facebook. They are a, a backend API in a can. Uh, and what they provide you is a very Excel-looking-like administration panel where you can spin up a very simple REST backend with social integration it's like 200 bucks a month. But uh oh, it's pretty fancy looking. Right, certainly for a you know, a smaller time company or a company who doesn't really need anything custom if they're just doing an app or a website. Parse is a serviceable though not ideal backend, right? Um one backend to rule them all. Right, and they're SDK by, for and they're iOS, by, Android and Windows right. 8. And they're owned by Facebook, so you know that they're not terribly interested in raising the price on you. It's it's a little. Oh, it has a Unity, uh, yeah, uh, SDK too. Look so I've fun. I've actually used it, and I've actually had projects. I've used it where people have been very happy, um, because it's a significant cost saving. I've also had people come uh, with existing projects and actually want to move off of Parse because it gets into a situation where you hit a certain amount of complexity, and it just doesn't support you anymore, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got you for your CRUD, it's got you for your um, your REST CRUD, your push notifications, all of that. But beyond that, you can't really have it. And that kind of reminds me of the Google Apps situation, right? Yeah. They got your email, they've got your document sharing, they've got your backup via Google Drive. But you can't do anything terribly clever, right? Right, you, you, you feel like basics. you're in a box, yeah. Right, you're in a box. And if you want to do anything outside of it, yep. kind of sucks because then you can't integrate with what you already have. And then, then I'm sitting here looking at the cost of moving off of it, because this, right. is, this is a discussion we're having in-house right now. This is a discussion we had, actually, um, in the summer, yeah. And it, it is not necessarily an appealing, because they do enough right, right? They do enough functionality for a, a reasonable enough price, um, and they do it at, at, at scale, and they do it very fast. What I mean by that is, like, you know, I get I get seriously a lot of email and there's a lot of systems that just get really dogtastic when i get that much email and i've with you know thousands of emails in that inbox i've still not had it ever really slow down i mean there's aspects to google mail that i just am so up glad i don't have to worry about if i ran an in-house server that might might have to show up on my radar from time to time well not only that but you know gmail does your archive your backup yeah, yeah. email if there's ever god forbid a court case well or... and they handle a nice mobile app for me and all etc it's interesting to look at it from the IT perspective because we've kind of seen this happen already. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, getting back to my main point was going to be, once you get a tier above these smaller shops, I think that's when people are still looking at you know pure cloud services, but they do need an IT guy, right? Right. But they might need 
one IT guy. <laughs> this is what I worry about is that it's but, like the need is reduced. So therefore the amount of work that is required, you know, labor force is reduced, but also in some scenarios, having an IT guy and not all, and we're not there yet. We might not be there for a while, but in some scenarios, an IT guy is going to be a luxury for a business that has a little extra cash and they want to give their employees yeah. that extra on-site touch. And it's, and you know what? Um, That's scary to the, me. The IT guy is a cost center, basically. Yeah. So when there's an issue, he'll be the first guy to go. Right. Because he's not generating revenue. And yeah. when there's an issue, even though he needs to buy some new hard drives or we need to replace that switch or we don't have a, we don't have a functional UPS on our firewall, all those things will wait because honestly, we just can't really afford that right now. We got to focus on the things that generate revenue. See, I, so I disagree with you again. I don't think that conversation even happens in these, in these mid-sized companies because all this is on Azure, all of this is on maybe AWS, but even then... You know, these platform as a service options are becoming a lot more popular. Yeah. So I can see a world where, let's use Azure, for example, Microsoft offers a contract, right? $2,000 a month, which is nothing for an IT guy, where they'll give you incident support. Then you can fire your IT guy. Because really, no one appreciates IT, in my experience. And Chris, you can disagree with me here, until something goes wrong. Oh yeah, and someone has to be a hero. So I can see for sure. Think about it. We have platform as a service. Why not IT hero as a service? Call Microsoft; they'll fix it for you. This is getting sad. That is not the way I thought this was going to go. Well, so his. So no, I think we are we are exploring his logic. So this is why he's coming to yeah. development. So. I would say IT is not dead still, right? In large enterprises, particularly with data security as an issue, you're never going to be more secure than owning the box. Right, right? right. So if you're a company who has the money to have a basement with servers, you need IT guys. I also think the uh, cybersecurity field is so primed to explode over the next 10 years because of all of yeah. the hype, and especially and it's coming from a federal level. Uh, so if you focus on the security aspect of IT, I think you're going to be on a gravy train for a while. But I th- but are those really admins? So that's the thing. I, I don't even consider that the same job. No, you know, the, the better ones are, have been admins, because then you understand, right. you know, the back end of it. Sure. Um, but I'm thinking the new crop that's going to be coming up. They're going to be just... They're not going to be admins. No. They're going to be security... Book, bookworms. I don't know what they're going to... Yeah, yeah, I don't even know what you'd call this. Security specialists? They're going to miss some of the insights. Yeah, well... Right. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, it, it is one of those things where here's where here's where I wonder though. Does it, it seems like if you're really going to make money in development these days, if you're you're going to have to go with gaming, you got to get into some games, right? And don't you have to make a game to make money these days? Certainly, it is looking that way. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, I mean, I've, I should have saved the link, but one of you know we've had this ongoing campaign about the Apple App Store, and it. Someone broke down the numbers that Tim Cook released in this recent iPad Air release. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Like 85% of that whatever billion dollars yeah. went to four companies, right? Yeah, and they're yeah. all microtransaction game companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sucks. So I haven't told the wife this yet. Uh, so, you know, I got, I got a new iPad, Uh-oh. so I gave the son the iPad that I was using. Uh-oh. But I just kept my account on there just to keep things simple so that way you didn't have to reload all the apps. Mm-hmm. And so I was buying um, a couple of games, just really, really cheap stuff, right, for him. Right. And uh, I went in and to, to the uh, Angry Birds game, 
the Angry oh, Birds Star Wars 2, and I, I got a, a guy for him. It's like, because it was on sale, and it's an in-app purchase. And I, and I thought, well, if they're doing a bundle, and you get like... You Mr. Get, Jar Jar Binks? You get three guys, and I don't know if Jar Jar might have been one of them. I don't remember now. Uh, actually, I think the Emperor Pig and Darth Vader were in there. And so I got it for him, and it was like four ninety nine, right? And I was like, ah, well, the game, you know, was free, and he loves it, and it'll keep, you know, keep him happy for, for days and days, because it's almost like getting a new toy for him. And um, walked away, sat back oh, down, no. and he went right back in there, <laughs> <laughs> and he clicked on the fifty dollar uh, credit button, and he bought a fifty dollar coin pack and now he loaded that thing up with 50 bucks and i didn't realize it at right away until i i looked down later on in the evening and i see that he's got like two thousand coins right and i i bought like 400 coins to get those guys uh and he's got like two thousand or something like that left and he's bought like a whole bunch of guys now and they made on that day on that night they made 56 bucks for my family (laughs) from a free game and i could have i could have disputed it but I thought, you know, it was actually, it was, it was a painful lesson. I needed to learn not to make that mistake again. So, so I didn't, I didn't up, want to be that guy. It's like, my kid though, did it. Up until recently, Apple was pretty tough on those disputes. I didn't even want to, you know, I felt yeah. like, I felt like I should take my lickings because I deserved it for letting that happen. I should have known better. And so since then, of course, now we've turned off in-app purchases and the yeah. parental controls and stuff. But yeah, that's fantastic. Lesson learned there. So yeah, those, those games aren't, those, those in-app games aren't making a ton of money. And Plants vs. Zombies is the same way. Like, they kind of let you proceed ahead if you want to pay a little bit. And they, yep. these games are basically letting you pay to win now. Well, these games are hiring, what is it, psychologists and economics yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, experts on staff to screw with you, which is fantastic. It's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, so Avid, Avid writes back. He's, he hasn't written in for weeks. And uh, he's got uh, some uh, some Java and some Docker stuff that he wants to talk about your Docker lifestyle, which, by the way, uh, resonated with some folks. I've heard from a few people outside the show, too, that are fascinated with the Docker stuff. But uh, first, I want to thank our second sponsor this week, and I'm pretty excited. I'm actually using them right now. As the show is recording, I am SSH'd into my DigitalOcean server. That's right. DigitalOcean is a new sponsor of the Coder Radio program. Now, what is DigitalOcean? Well, my friends, we'll tell you a little more about how we're using them. But first, if you're not familiar with DigitalOcean, they're simple cloud hosting with dedicated offerings with the most intuitive, easy way to spin up a cloud server. It is so awesome. Users can create a cloud server in under 55 seconds, and pricing plans start only 5 per month, which gets you 512 megabytes of RAM. A 20 gigabyte SSD, a CPU, and one terabyte of transfer. DigitalOcean has locations in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. Their interface is simple, and they have a nice. In fact, I'll log in right now. I'll get uh, here. I'll, I'll log in. I'll show you my account. Don't look at my stuff, you guys. Just look at this. So here are like, for example, the way you would create a new DigitalOcean server. You just click uh, once you're in here. You see, you got like a notification right here. Uh, there's a there's a there's a notification about some maintenance that I need to know about on on uh, later today at 3 p.m. Uh, so I would just, but if I want to get started, I would just enter in the machine name. I choose what kind of size I want. So if I want uh, something real beefy with like three terabytes of transfer, I could do that. If I want if I want just five dollars a month, I can get one terabyte of transfer, 20 gigs of storage on SSD, and 512 megs of RAM. 
What's awesome about this one is if you use our promo code, CODARADIO74, CODARADIO74 will give you a $10 credit. So you can get this for two months for absolutely free. And then you just choose your region, you choose your OS, and choosing the OS is so great. They've got Ubuntu, CentOS, Debian, Arch, and Fedora. I I spun up an Arch 64-bit server, and I have logged into that, and uh, you can kind of, you can see it right here on my screen. I am recording the stream on this server as we go, because... I was having some problems with our system dropping the recordings, and I wanted to have a nice, safe, off-site backup. I've been using these servers at $5 a month. You'll, you'll be amazed at all the different things you can come up with. It is so handy to have this standing by, and DigitalOcean makes it so simple and straightforward to get it done. I am so happy. You know, Mike, you told me about DigitalOcean, and i got to say, I am extremely happy with it. So, uh, you know, uh, I don't know about you. But every day I'm thinking of something new I can do with a DigitalOcean instance. And I've even been considering setting up like my mail server up on DigitalOcean, uh, doing a little uh, web mirror, all kinds of like like deploying a test version of our website on DigitalOcean and to bang on it. I mean, all kinds of great stuff. There's all kinds of great stuff you can come up with with these prices too. So go over to DigitalOcean.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. And then use our promo code CODARADIO74 when you check out and you'll get a $10 credit. Also, by the way, if you want to help contribute to the DigitalOcean community, DigitalOcean offers a vast collection of tutorials. In their community section, on their site, users can submit articles to the community, and if your article is published, you could earn up to 50 bucks. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. That's a great way to get yourself a little extra money if you've got something you think the DigitalOcean community could appreciate. But also go over there and check it out because you know it's of a certain quality too. It's a pretty great way to do it. So thank you very much to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. Boop, boop, boom. Uh, yes, I was uh, I was rocking my digital ocean food this weekend, actually. Oh yeah. Oh, it was so much fun. Yeah, I I've been enjoying it quite a bit. I uh, I'll have to uh, I'll have to come up with all the different uh, use cases that I've been going through because like just oh, today, I was like I want a backup and I need to do it offsite and I don't want to take my bandwidth because I'm streaming. Oh, you know what? I'll just log into my digital ocean VPS, which I have running all the time. And like I was saying earlier in the show or on the pre-show. What I like about it is this opposed to like uh, something like uh, 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 the other cloud providers is I, since I know up front what my bandwidth cost is, and I'm not gonna, there's not like a surprise charge for the CPU usage. There's not a surprise charge for bandwidth usage. I know I have a terabyte to use, and so I either use that terabyte or I don't. And I don't, I'm not going to have like a surprise bandwidth bill like I have when I've signed up on S3. When I tried S3 at the end of the month, mm. I was shocked because of all the additional costs that I had incurred when I thought it was going to be extremely cheap. Whereas with this, it's, it's, I, I, I know it's a fixed cost, so it's predictable. I'm comfortable with it. I, I, I'm, I love it. Yeah, I, no, I really like that. It's, uh, could definitely project a PL on a project. So, yay. Yay. So thanks to DigitalOcean. Uh, all right, so I want to get to Avid's email. He wrote in about the Docker lifecycle and also Java. Now, let's get, we're going to get pretty deep here, Mike, so get uh, your propeller hat on. You ready? Here we go. Going in. Do it live. He says, hi, Chris and Mike. Loyal, loyal JB viewer here, Avid, again with another question. And he goes on to say, uh, he says, yes, I'm a sysadmin listening to the Coda Radio Show, albeit I like to think I'm a good one. I find that listening to your show helps me speak with developers, which due to the fact that I've been working in R&D with devs for most of my career is a good thing. So I thank you and ask you to continue your sometimes heavy on conjecture show. Oh, what? That was a dig. That was a backhanded compliment. Here. All right. So uh, on to the question. In this week's episode, you've been talking about Docker, and honestly, you've got me intrigued. 
Is it possible to hear more about your development cycle from end-to-end, including, but not limited to, committing code, testing it locally, pushing to Docker, pushing the Docker to staging, if you have one, pushing from staging to production, spinning up new staging testing production machines to host Dockers, etc., etc. He wants to know if you create Dockers from Jenkins or Bamboo. Also, if there are any sort of integration with Puppet or Chef that you feel may be needed. And P.S., he follows all of this up with... In the place I'm working at, it's heavily using Java for their backend. Yes, Chris, I did the sigh of relief when I heard that as well. My question is, is there any special considerations when creating a Docker that uses Java in its core? Thanks in advance. Abid. Yeah, no, Uh, nothing there. Yeah, I mean, the the nice thing about Java is once you have the JVM and the JRE, you're you're pretty much good to go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the JDK and the uh, JRE. Yeah, I know what you meant. So I could go write down this list if you like. Yeah, okay. You got it? Do you want me to read it or do you got it? Oh, I got it. Okay. All right, so yes, obviously we're using Git, so we commit code locally. We have a branching system that's pretty standard. Um, master is production. There's a dev, which actually is staging. I don't, I, old habit I call, locally I call staging dev. Remotely I call it staging. Um, everybody has their own version of dev, so it's a branch off of dev. You send a PR to dev. Uh, someone else has to review it. It goes through, gets accepted. Wonderful, right? Then you push dev, which goes to, um, obviously, source hosting. Then the dev branch is actually deployed to a staging server via Docker or via Git, right? So the way we're doing this is actually we have... um, So I'm a little weird. I don't call my GitHub remote origin because I think that's stupid. I call it GitHub. And I know that's very much against the grain. The reason for this is... For a time, I was using GitHub and Bitbucket at the same time. And they both want to default to origin. Right? So it wasn't always clear where I was committing to. Then I just started calling GitHub, GitHub, and Bitbucket origin. Now I just call GitHub, GitHub. Kind of beside the point. Uh, so what we do is we add a remote staging, which is obviously staging. You push the staging, test it on staging, you're good to go. Add another remote production which you can only push from from master, right? Same idea, though. Same Git deployment of the actual source in the Docker instance. Uh, So there's a few things. We don't do a whole lot of localhost testing anymore because when it comes to things like migrations, you can actually have something perfect on localhost that fails on the server. Uh, So not really a good idea to trust localhost in a lot of cases. This is particularly true with ASP.NET. Chris, I can't hear you at all. Oh, I'm just listening. Okay. So, I mean, the, it's less of an issue in Java Play, but in .NET in particular, there is a lot of weird configuration things that will work flawlessly on localhost that will vomit on Azure in particular. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a very rough weekend because of that. Um, <laughs> we're not using Jenkins or Bamboo, but... There's talk of it. Uh, we're not using Puppet or Chef at all. And probably not going to. And part of it is, as you suggest, there's really no need to if we're already using Docker in this Git toolchain. Yeah, and if you spin up a lot, that could get kind of hairy. Right, and, and one of the things um, that's of particular importance to me is, you know, one of the things I, I ended up not liking about Rails in the end was that it's so finicky with its configuration, Right. Uh, in terms of you have to have RVM, you have to manage your jams, you have to do all this crap, where I want as little as possible in my deployment, right? So as close as I can say to the default, the better. Which is what Docker gives me, because it's the same image over and over again. 
Yes, I very much like that aspect. Yeah, it, it's the lazy approach, but it's also I, it's like you just you just always know what you got. Yeah, right. It, we always have the safe starting point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this worked. This worked. We can start from there. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, it's you know we're not doing anything radical. I mean, Git deployment has been around for a long time. Um, I know of people who are much fancier with it than I am. Mm-hmm. You know, so I know a lot of guys like to put hooks in their Git repos to actually pull out of GitHub. So when you push, Chris, when you push the GitHub, it'll actually pull from the server. I'm sorry, the server will pull from GitHub to the server, recompile, and run it there hmm. automatically. I don't like that. I don't like things to be automatic, generally speaking. Uh, I'm, I pretty much want to have to do the separate deployment. Just because, again, if there's a configuration issue, in particular with things like migrations, I want to see it fail immediately mm-hmm. right I, I don't want to i never want to be surprised yeah i know what you mean uh but that's it it's it, again it, it i've cer- we've certainly modernized but it's not still not the bleeding edge right we're still pretty conservative in our choices for instance our database of choice is still postgres right we haven't drank the mongo kool-aid we haven't done anything more you know postgres and mysql nothing That's it. That's all I got. All right. Very good. Well, uh, we've got two more emails to blow through, but these these next ones I think will be a little quicker. Uh, so Nicholas writes in, and uh, we, you know, it's funny. Uh, so two weeks ago we got an email uh, from a gentleman who is, uh, was going in for a job at a place that, you know, uh, I don't remember the details anymore, but it was old school. And, it was an IBM thing, wasn't it? Yep, yep. And he yep. went in for the interview, and it looks like it's going well. He commented in the uh, in the. Uh, Coda Radio subreddit. Anyway, so Nicholas writes in kind of along that same thread. He says, Hi, Chris and Michael. In reference to the show two weeks ago, IBM mainframes are still being used in medium-sized businesses. I, I work for an in-house developer for a billion-dollar company that still uses an IBM AS400. I can almost yes. guarantee that Michael owns my company's product in his fridge. Wow. Chris might also, since they're gaining West Coast market share every year. The programs the AS400 run are written in RG, RPG which is a language that referenced by an, by another listener. My primary job at this company is to rewrite these legacy applications to run in a web browser using a Java stack. Sad to say, I've been working at this company for three years now, and the web application would be considered legacy given the rise in tablets and other touch devices. Oh, man, I hate it when that happens. Thanks for the, thanks for the show, guys. Uh, yeah, Nicholas, boy, I've been on projects where by the, even by the time it's almost done, it's already out of date. That's rough. Uh, there you go, AS400, You're probably, and you probably have it in your fridge. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what the hell it is. I don't know. Um, that is funny. I, that is good. Uh, it's got to be a beer. I think it's wait. a beer. Well, you know, I do like my Java winter ale. Chris, did you know Sam Adams is, Seasonal Winter came out? Is there a popular East Coast beer that is just kind of recently making its way over on the West Coast Do that you know of? I don't know. Every time I talk to someone from the West Coast, I, I kind of tune them out. <laughs> okay. I understand. I do, too. Uh, all right. Our last email of the day comes in from another Ben. How about that? Ben Morris this time. Uh, this is Ben Classic. Yeah. yeah, Ben Classic. Yeah. Well, one of Ben the Ben Classics. Uh, hey, guys, it's Ben Morris. I'm 27 years old. And uh, thanks, Ben. That's weird. I wonder if he just says that all the time. Uh, then, uh, welcome to Coda Radio Dating Edition. Right. Uh, okay, maybe here's why he told us that. And there was a time when I was about 25 when I loved to code buzzed. With a two-beer buzz, I found it made me more creative and loose. 
Uh, currently today, I really can't stand a code buzz, and it slows me down. I will only during work if it's after 12 p.m. I'm ready to have a relaxed Reddit kind of day. So regarding Java, despite you guys accusing me of trying to start a flame war about PHP, I thought I was calm and rational. I actually have mixed feelings about Java. For the past two years, I've built and ran Silicon Valley startups with 100% Java backend. Oracle Java was reliable and easy to set up on both Ubuntu and my Windows 7 computer. I've had a good one-to-one of development to production environments. Remember to check exactly uh, to use the same Java everywhere. There were uh, many server-side libraries to accomplish such tasks. Um, he says Twitter, Facebook, background tasks, Red Pools, MySQL, CouchDB, for example, all have uh, background server-side libraries. I was personally using the Spring Framework for the uh, joinme.com servers, but this is where the joy ends. I really didn't like Spring. Getting on ORM working was really hard and was like, a hot gluing components together. We waste a lot of dev time making raw MySQL queries when we didn't have to. Also, I think Java is about 10% too explicit. Hmm. That's very explicit. Uh, there's a lot of extra typing that needed to, uh, that needed in other, uh, there's a lot of extra typing that's not needed in other languages. I think typing is a big barrier between our brains and good code. So this is important. One last benefit. We also wrote a good-looking Android app at joinme.com slash mobile, which has shared code from the server. My Android team really benefited from being able to copy-paste all of the object models from the server. Okay, that's about it. I'm pretty much 50-50 on Java. Great show, guys. <laughs> that's a good post. Um, and that's interesting, sharing code from the server backend with the Android application. I, ne- I feel like I need to let that soak for a second. That kind of was blowing my mind. That's yeah. interesting. I'm going to assume he's exaggerating about copy pasting the server models, um, but maybe not. I guess you, it depends on what your models look like. You probably get away with it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, certainly there's a lot of code you could share in terms of the models. I no, actually, yeah. Given because I've actually used his application, yeah, he could probably do that. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, he, he was complaining about the amount of typing, though. <laughs> yeah, I, these guys with the typing. So first of all, then. <laughs> You're not running a Silicon Valley startup unless you're using Node or Rails. I mean, I, I, I thought Ouch. you're not in the club. Uh, but in all seriousness, I would say if you're having troubles with uh, Springs ORM, try Play. Uh, play yeah, I was wondering. is pretty light. Uh, I, it's not as popular. And I've been getting that a lot. A lot of folks are using Spring, and I, and I think Spring just has a little more tooling right now, <laughs> a little more vendor backing. But I think if... You know, if you're having a lot of heavy configuration problems, definitely give Java Play a shot, um, unless you're just leaving Java altogether. But, you know, certainly if you're using Android development, Mm -hmm. having your stack in one language is kind of nice, right? You can borrow code from the server for the client, right? Or vice versa. Boy, that is, that's a pretty good sales pitch right there. Yeah, that's that's one area. Um, You know, the typing thing, whatever, dude. Like... I love it. I love it. How bad of a typist are you? Like, I oh, guess what he's saying is if you have to think more about what you have to write, you're thinking less about I, the great idea you just had. That's got to be it, right? That's got to be guess. what he's saying, I mean, yeah. So the other thing is I really like strong static typing. Um, I don't like having to think about what type of variable is. I just like to know. So maybe I'm a curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah, well, you are. We know I, that. Well. <laughs> no, but really, I mean – like you said, that is a great sales pitch, right? I can copy pasta at least part of my models. Heck over. yeah, man. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, look, I'm... Uh, oh, hi there. I have a CPU monitor up on the screen right now. How cool is that? How cool is that? You see that Wirecast yeah, is taking... I've noticed our, uh, our live chat is now multicolored. Yeah, you like that? <clears throat> I like that. 
We're currently using 948% of the CPU. How about that on the broadcast machine? Yeah, this is a this is textual on the Mac. And uh, one of the fun things you can do, which some people hated during last, but we were having so many technical difficulties last yesterday on last, that uh, I for fun, I turned on the ability to display inline pictures. So when people link an imager picture, it displays inline. I, it's off right now for the show. Oh, come on. Well, it got I, great. I was going to put in Java Duke. You would not believe how many RMS GIFs there are because it does display the animation in a GIF. There's turns out to be a lot of Gabe from Valve and RMS GIFs out there. So uh, it was kind of fun, but some people didn't like it too much. So I, I thought we'd, we wouldn't uh, risk it. You know. And, uh, there's Zane getting lippy in the chat room about my Java love. <laughs> All right, well, we got to dirt, air a little dirty laundry. Maybe Zane will appreciate that. But first, I want to thank our third sponsor this week, and that is the great folks, longtime sponsors of the Coda Radio program over at GoDaddy. Now, Coda Radio brought to you by GoDaddy, and they have a brand new website builder that's just been updated that makes it easy to create your own website. Put your business online and find new customers. Choose from hundreds of customizable designs, and you're on your way. Website builder even includes a free domain, hosting, and 24-7 support. You just have to use the code WSB8, Website Builder 8, when you check out. Now, here's why you might want to do this. It's definitely go time. So go over to GoDaddy, enter that promo code, get your website for only a dollar per month for 12 months. Okay, a dollar per month for 12 months includes the domain, the hosting, and the support. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. I've never heard of that. That's crazy. And it's this new integrated approach to hosting and the website builder. They automatically spin off a mobile version of the site for you. They also they also, they also are constantly doing SEO optimizations. And I've been recommending this because I think this is a great way to sort of own your own website. We've had it was really folks in the IRC that came up with the idea during Coda Radio. But now I think about it, it's absolutely brilliant. Is for a dollar per month, you can own your own site online. So when people Google you, that's what comes up. Not your Facebook page, not your Twitter account, not your Google yes. Plus that you don't update often enough. You need to have your own site that you own. And then later on, and this is something you need to do now, because the sooner you do it, the longer you'll have this time for that to build up. And by the time you want either to have a new job and you want some, and somebody's Googling you, you want to take a client, you want to start a project, you're going to be so thankful that you own that position in the Google results. Trust me now. This is a mistake that I could have, I could have done this years ago. Years ago. I mean, years ago, and I didn't do this. So learn from my mistake and take advantage of this. And use our code WSB8 when you check out. You'll get it for a dollar a month for a year. And that includes so, the website builder, the hosting, and the mobile. It's brilliant. It's really so brilliant. Actually, we have a good Eddie convert. Oh, yeah? Uh, my buddy just started a blog, Zachary.com, with an X, because he is a warrior princess, much like Xena, uh, using the code Linux249. That son of a bitch. Oh, my goodness. Well... You know, if he would have, if he would have waited, he could have gotten this WSB8 code, and then he could have gotten a website builder, and it actually looks like a really nice tool. No, it looks very good tool. Yeah. And you know, Angela's uh, my wife. Uh, her mom owns a restaurant, and this is something that they've been considering buying. They they've they they do not you know iPads are like as, as technical as they go, right? And that's that's as far as, so building a website has not really been within their grasp. Um, and so they were approached by this company that wanted to sell them this restaurant focused package. But it's it's like a couple of hundred bucks a month, a month. And so I was like, well, let's go take a look at this website builder. And so they're checking this out and they think they might go this way because they just set it up. And then I might I might even just create the account for them. And then they just go in there and they just click and drag. They add something and they're done. It's totally grokkable. Um, and WSB8 gets it to them for a buck a month. Not bad. Not bad at all. So thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. All right, Mike. So you kind of had a rough week. 
And well, a rough month, actually. <laughs> yeah, and and you kind of gotten some in a, in a tough spot with a client because of it. And well, so yeah, deadlines have been pushed, right? In a way. So, as you might know, Chris, um, iOS apps have to be code signed. Yeah, I do know that. And though it's possible to, as a first party, have someone sideload an iOS assigned iOS app via iTunes and Xcode. That A, requires the person to have a Mac, B, is not exactly easy, right? So there's this wonderful service called TestFlight, which I've been using for a few years and has never given me serious issues. It's always sound kind of like a hack to me, though. It is, right? It, they do it for you, basically. And what if is you, it they do? So you sign the application, and then they do a little bit of magic on their end. So they do an ad hoc sign on top of your sign, and... This is a gross oversimplification, so please, crypto people, don't don't email. Uh, they basically send your desired recipient, so your client, an email with the app and a link where they can just go through a simple GUI dialog to install the app, right? And this is rather than side loading via Xcode. And this right? is cropped up because it's it's addressing a blatant hole uh, in the in the Apple. app store system where it is so hard to have a large scale amount of testers to have a different testing base, right. and they even give out. Like, here's what we're working on to, like, a, a reviewer, like a blogger or something. So, for for example, like an Android build, I can just email you the APK. Right. Right. So, it's it's certainly a different experience for <laughs> yeah. everyone involved. It feels like more of a toy computer experience, whereas Android's approach to this seems more like, um, you know, a real computer. Right. Like, I'll email you a nicely formatted email with a build. and Now, they do you know. have Android support, though. They do, and I've used it. And it, it's – but all it is is they email the APK. With a little bit of like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. their gooey on top of it. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to hit this too hard because they've been working fine for me for for a few years now. You know, they're they're they've had outages. They've had significant outages mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in terms of days. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the past, they've always been pretty aggressively saying they're down, even if they're not totally down, right? And over the last, I'd say, three to six months. They've not exactly been Johnny on the spot with service disruptions, um, or more importantly, reporting them. So I've had a number of cases where builds have been processed by me, not received by clients. And if they go look at the status page on test flights as well, so systems up. So, so this is what it is. They can't look at the status page. Well, yes. Is your mic stand thing. falling apart over there? It is. It's dying. <laughs> That's like just shooting it. You know what there. it sounds like is maybe there's a monk and sitting in the back of your room that is just banging like a metal drum from time to time during a, a Coda Radio meditation uh, ceremony. Um, <laughs> it's this big boom. Yeah. I mean, back at, right back at the non monk, like, God damn it. Stop. <laughs> So this is a problem because clients – so you're telling clients, okay, I, I've shipped it, and they're saying, well, we're not getting it. And then TestFlight says, well, we're and, up. And there's a standard thing, right? TestFlight says they'll have it within like an hour. Yeah. And I always say you'll get it you know, within four hours. Okay, right? okay. Because I always like to not get phone calls. The Scotty maneuver. I got you. Right. So you know, it's, it's been something of a problem recently, but it wasn't the shit didn't hit the fan, so to speak, until they went down for about two days straight. Uh, and one particularly frustrated client called them, and the the questionable response of the test flight rep was a to incorrectly. So first of all, test flight should not, and they claim they don't 
tell your clients your your account activity, right? Okay. For a number of obvious reasons. Okay. You may have clients who are competitors with each other, right? Ah, uh, yeah, sure. And even something like a build number can give a lot away. Okay. Oh, right. So this person incorrectly said a build wasn't processed because it failed and never got through the distribution part of their server um, and did not notify me. Right. And this is part of an outage that they hours later reported. But this rep did not say anything to the client. So here's what the client hears. No builds were sent. I'm telling them three builds were sent. Mm. And I believe there's an outage given what I'm saying. And because clients are clients and, and they're clients, paying for a service, uh, they jump to the conclusion, he's screwing me. Because right, these guys always, say... There's always that magical case of the dev who disappears to Indonesia, right? Well, and I, you know, I, I mean, you're, you know, as a, so this is my sysadmin coming out, but uh, I've worked with a lot of developers who are just a bunch of bullshitters who say they're working on something, they say it yeah. takes them two weeks, and then they spend, uh, you know, the Friday afternoon banging something crappy out and then bill for two weeks. I've been in a lot of situations where we have gotten screwed by a developer. Yeah, it, it happens, and I guess that's the reason for this. Uh, that's why it happens with the clients, because those sets, they've probably been burned, right? And so now they just assume you're screwing them. When when test flight's saying we're up, you're saying I sent it. They just assume, well, Mike just took an early Friday. Right. So here here's the problem. Um, the, the status page did publicly report the outage the following day, which is fantastic. Uh, but the client pieced out, right? The client had a, had a fit and, you know left on relatively unpleasant terms and then came back once he saw the status page now, I opted not to take the project back for two reasons I didn't like that he contacted TestFlight at all yeah because I think that's a warning sign right I mean if, if you you know to me software is software and things can be late anyway right so <laughs> you know an, an issue of TestFlight being down shouldn't be a deal breaker in anybody's mind right I then wrote a letter to TestFlight, which has not been responded to, questioning why they violated their privacy policy to disclose my account activity or what they thought my account activity was. And what's really funny is on my dashboard, it retroactively updated to show the build is being processed after they had announced the outage the following day. So, so you know, the, the rep didn't lie. He just was experiencing the same problem me and my client were. Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. That makes uh, sense. So he was being honest. Right. Okay. Okay. The, 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 Problem was he shouldn't have said anything. Well, right? yeah, yeah. Because just... he was giving bad information. B, I'm their customer, not my client. Right. This would be like your attorney helping out the district attorney. Right. Right. It is not a good idea uh, because what ended up happening is nobody's happy. The project ended. Client wanted to come back, and I said no. All because TestFlight did not honor their privacy commitment to me as the development firm. So what are you going to do about that? Have you uh, thought well, about it? Well, we're building an internal distribution service. Yeah, you're thinking about maybe just seeing if you can yeah, replace it, huh? because this is actually the least bad thing that can happen with TestFlight, right? If you think about this in a in a grand scale, you know, a, a, a low-level rep incorrectly getting a, a client all hot and bothered is not a huge deal, right? Contracts can be broken, things like that. A worse deal is someone impersonating myself or a client and getting all the account history and seeing everything we've got going on, right? Yeah. What stops another dev shop from doing that? Yeah. We now have customer email addresses, names, phone numbers. Wonderful. Dates, bills are sent out, processes. I mean, I, we're pretty, you know, obviously Code Radio do a show, pretty open about the internal process. But 
make a point not to mention names, right? Mm-hmm. Or clients, things like that, because mm-hmm. there's always a risk. I mean, I, I could see some foreign firm writes a script that does that, right? Sends fake emails, pretends to be the person, the account holder. Yeah. Or even claims that they're a client. And they, because this guy, you know, the I thing got, is, is it's, it's, I got the email he sent them because he CC'd me on it. He would, if I didn't know better, I'd say he social engineered the test flight rep. He claimed that he felt defrauded. So, of course, test flight's back on their heels and they, they obviously want to show no fault, right? Right. So the rep thought she was being helpful. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I got to tell you, man, I've called this is, again, to go back to GoDaddy, this is one of the reasons I recommend GoDaddy, is I've called a lot of, I've walked into clients' offices and They've like say they've lost access to their the the person who registered their domain name quit or has been fired and they've lost access. And I tell you, a lot of these companies, I've been able to just call up and just say I'm them. And I really, you know, if and also and like, and they'll even ask me, okay, well, what's your address? And all I do is I just go to their website because everybody has their all these businesses have their about page, and I read phone number. I just read it off from the website, and then they say okay, and they let me in. And I've changed their domain names like. Not once, not twice, probably a dozen times I've done this. And it is so easy because these, it depends on, I mean, you look at, oh, what was that wired guy who got his iCloud account hacked? Kind of yeah, the same thing, terrible. right? So Stop you're right. This her. is a, even if you take out like the, oh, you know, test flight could get hacked and become a man in the middle. If you take out even all that kind of stuff and just talk about it from a social engineering standpoint, you're absolutely right. Like, that's a human, so that's a another, human thing. There's another facet to this also, right? So I was actually being honest and the bill did in fact get sent, right? I know plenty of other devs. I don't want to name names that you just that as an excuse to buy time, right? Yeah. Maybe it's Friday at four o'clock. Yeah. You know, oh, fuck yeah. it. We're not going to look at this till Monday. So they say, "Hey, it's processing." <laughs> right. Right. Um. So I, I'm. I. You're sympathetic. It's a, it's a month. it's a tough spot for them. And so what yeah. you what you might just have to say is. There's definitely test flight obviously fills a big need and a void that Apple really should have just provided a solution for. But yeah, maybe it's I mean, just not for everyone. Well, so my concerns are twofold. A, some of these devs who I know use that what I would call scam, I'm friendly with, right? And kind of a non-calling out public shout out. Be very careful. Test flight is very open about sharing your account history. Um, which may not be their actual policy. I mean, this person could have made a mistake, right? Which sounds like she did. The other side of this is, as Chris is getting at, even if this was one rep being silly and making a stupid mistake, this is a serious man in the middle opportunity. Not saying that people should go exploit this, just saying that, you know, let's be honest, a lot of times you'll get a project because you did a project similar to it a year before, right? Yeah, For yeah, a company, yeah. That company. I could see this kind of thing happening. And I, I, I think it sounds a little crazy, but I think this stuff happens more often than people would like to admit to themselves. Um, and e- either way, even in the most innocent case where a rep made a silly mistake um, and a client just gets upset and you lose a contract, well, that's serious, right? Uh, in the more sinister case where people can use this as a man-in-the-middle opportunity for a whole host of nefarious things. Um, well, think about this, Chris. If you could impersonate me, right? Mm-hmm. Get my account. Now you're distributing directly over the air builds to people's phones that could have malware in them that have not gone through the App Store and been verified. Yeah, that's true. These these are right. outside the App Store review process. Right. So I really, you know, I really think Test Flight needs to a go back to their old position of the developer is our customer, 
but also evaluate their security practices because, you know, I'm not elite hacksaw, but I hear that those Linux folks are, and uh, <laughs> I could see someone like Zane doing this just oh, for what? just for the lulls. Oh. Installing Spindle on everybody's device. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait. Well, um, so I'd be curious, you know, if you end up building something. Um, well, I think we don't have a choice, right? Because here's the thing: even if you know, did, yeah, on the off chance that someone I guess it doesn't have to have like some beautiful front end if you're just giving uh, clients links, crappy. right? Yeah, it could be crappy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. here's the thing: even if someone from Test Flight hears this and they call me or email me or whatever, you know, they could say they're you know the rep made a mistake and they're going to fix their security practices and it was a one time thing. I don't know if that's true. You know what I mean? I have no positive proof of that. And no developer really does, right? Right. Um, in particular, Test Flight's asking you, their big push is to get you to give them more analytics about your users under the guise of, we'll help you you know, with QA, mm-hmm. which is always a pain point. So that information might even be more personal, particularly with medical apps becoming more and more popular and... Uh, you know, apps for children, things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I do a lot of work in um, for certain uh, foundations for autistic children. So there's there's a data security concern there as well, right? Yeah, privacy is uh, big, and yeah. and that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg, right? And there's all. I mean, we're we're not even getting because you know we don't need to bash these guys for so long, but certainly for me, you know, this is definitely a loss of faith, right? Kind of a hard. It's kind of a hard lesson learned when it affects a relationship with a client. Right. It wasn't a. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, if it was an older relationship, I, I don't think it would have gone that way. Um. But certainly, if the test flight rep had either said, "Yes, we've had some issues," or, "I'm sorry, sir, I can't give you information on our client you know, on our customer's account," that would have solved the problem. Would never have happened, right? Yeah. Because yeah. then the next day they would have put their post up. I would have emailed it to him, and that would have been it. Yeah. And it would have been, you know, an apology lunch kind of thing. Well, uh, hey, before we wrap, uh, I had yeah. a kind of a fun idea that I was just going to kind of throw out there. And uh, now people probably hate that I even bring up the holidays from time to time. But it is happening. Oh, oh. I know. It's happening. And I was thinking we should solicit book ideas from our audience that we haven't featured before because I love it when we feature a book. Mm. Uh, and I was thinking like books that you as a fellow – you would – you know, a developer would want. Like for example – we could do like anything from education stuff, like getting started, like foundational stuff to stuff right. later on. Like, you, you know, you, for people that are quite comfortable, like I'd like to see a range of ideas from folks. And well, I have a recommendation then. You do right now. Yes. You want, you want to make a pick right, right now? now. Ooh, this right. is so exciting. Okay. What is it? Bucking the trend here. The heart of darkness by Joseph Conrad. The heart of darkness. Now that sounds like a porno. <laughs> no, that's the uh, something else of darkness. Heart actually. of darkness, or uh, heart of darkness by who? Joseph Conrad. Yes. Oh yeah, this it's is heart. new. This is new. Heart. Yeah, heart of darkness. Yeah. Not heart. Yeah, that would be very different. What? What? Yep. What? Uh, the heart of darkness. Okay. All right. I'll put that okay. in the show notes, and if folks want to grab that, they'll support the Jupiter Broadcasting Network because we'll it, get a little little piece. It tells the adventure of uh, Chris finding me in the Congo. Actually. Wow. Really. Yes. We live a dream alone. Heart of Darkness is a short novel written by Joseph Conrad, presented in a frame narrative about Charles Mallow's job as an ivory transporter down the Congo River in Central Africa. I was doing some shady shit before I was a Java dev baby. <laughs> All right, so here's how you can tell us about those books. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, and then choose Coda Radio from the drop-down. Or send us an email, any feedback you'd like, a topic, some questions. We'd love to get them. We'll read them on next week's episode. Mr. Dominic, where should people go to find you throughout the week? 
the African Congo, and DominicM.com. There we go. Magic. Of course, we'll also have links to our social profiles. Don't forget, you can watch Coder Radio Live on a Monday over at JB Live at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. And that's also over at jblive.info for the audio edition. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coder Radio. We'll see you right back here next week.